Have you ever been sitting at a bar, totally listening to the story your friend is telling you, because you're a really good friend, of course, but also noticing that on the back of the bar there are some really weird old booze bottles? Our guests today did. Spirits industry veterans Rick Kiley and Jeff Boges had an idea for a web series where they would visit bars all around New York City, asking the bartenders about dusty, neglected bottles that haven't been touched in some cases in years. What were they? They wanted to find out. The series is called Collecting Dust, and Rick and Jeff have found some crazy stuff, and then drank it. But I'll let them tell you about that. Also on this episode, Roy talks lawnmowers, Eleanor tries to figure out how to pronounce cognac, or is it cognac, and we give Alex a hard time about his desk knacks again. Dust off your favorite bottle and settle in, y'all. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. Our special guests today are Rick Kiley and Jeff Boges, who are from the web series Collecting Dust, where they go around to New York City bars and find bottles of booze that have been sitting around for, in some cases, years, I think. Is that right, guys? Absolutely. Yeah, years. Usually. And then you finish them with the help of special guests. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. We find other enthusiasts. Yes, yeah. And we invite yeah. them on. One bottle of liquor between the two of us would probably get towards the irresponsible way. I was going to say, how many times are these bottles full? Oh, they're always, always full. Yeah. So they're, always they're, full. Yeah. They usually aren't cracked. Sometimes you get lucky and get something that's like 60 or 70 proof. So it's a little more tolerable, but we opened with a dad's hat, dad's hat, 90 proof 90 rye. Proof. Yeah. So we got a little silly in that one. How did you guys come by this idea? I mean, we were talking about it earlier that it's such a good idea. Anybody who's sat in a bar for any appreciable length of time has looked at the back counter yeah. and said, what the hell is that? Is that what happened basically? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've. <laughs> You know, we've worked in the alcohol beverage industry for a long time. We run a marketing agency that promotes a lot of brands across the country. And we also work together and we go out to lunch a lot. And there was this one lunch spot that we went to that basically for like nine years straight, every time we were in there, there was this bottle on the wall that never moved and was still there. And just one day we went in, I said to Jeff, I was like, you know what we should do? We just come in for lunch and just finish that bottle and really freak out everybody that works here. They won't know what to do. Should we reorder it? These guys might come back again. But we just did that. And Jeff said, let's film it. What bottle was that? Uh, it was a client's bottle. It was a client's bottle. I think I prefer not to say. At this time. <laughs> um, no, it, they don't it, make it anymore. Yeah, it's that's how you know it's really old. When you see something that's been basically out of production, like for five or six years, uh-huh. and it's not yeah. a collector's item. Yeah, it's collecting dust. It was. Fr- I'll tell you, it was from the family of brands that is like alcohol infused fruit juice combination. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, that so sounds pretty awesome. Something that was, you know, a very bright color. <laughs> I feel like, Kevin, you have an experience like this recently, your whole Bailey's experience that you had. I know Bailey's is like beloved and everything, but you had yeah. a similar sort of experience like this, didn't you? Yeah, I think Bailey's moves. But I was just at a bar with a friend and we were talking about how we both like secretly like Bailey's, but nobody will ever really order it out in public, we've noticed. And you <laughs> right. can't really like be with a group of people and be like, yeah, yeah, get me a Bailey's. Like, yeah. It doesn't it's go over well. For, it's tough for a dude, you know, yeah. in the right circumstances. Yeah. But yeah. then we were at a bar and a stranger came in and went straight to the bartender and the bartender said... Double Baileys? And we were like, oh my gosh. We went over to the guy and we're like, can we have some of these with you, please? And then we asked him, like, what's the story? And he was like, I don't know. I like it when it's cold. Yeah. So some of those things, they've become what was once not cool, obviously, especially with mixology, is now cool. So some brands actually do have resurgence. We actually work on another brand. Can we talk about Cointreau or is it? uh, Sure. Yeah. So Cointreau is one that, and Campari for that matter, who we've worked with in the past. Uh, these aperitif brands and your big, big European brands that really didn't do much in the U.S. now have a resurgence and it's a lot of it's because of the mixology. And now also there's more brands out there than ever before. 
Yeah. So there's still a lot of esoteric unknown brands that just don't get the love. Yeah. I think we kind of like, we went into it thinking like, let's go film one and let's see what happens. And we called a bar that we go to regularly, the hideaway in Tribeca. And we were frequent there a lot and said, what do you got that's not moving? And they pulled out this bottle of rye. You know, the supposition for us is that the things that don't move are all going to be really like terrible brands. Right. Like you wouldn't want to drink them. No one would want to drink them. But this is a really great rye whiskey. It's actually an award-winning rye whiskey. It just is kind of new to New York and no one knows about it. So it's just been sitting there. Right. And that's kind of the challenge with all these producers now. Micro distilling is like booming. Craft spirits are, are all over the place. You know, there's 1,800 like different whiskeys being made in the U.S. right now. And there were like 110 years ago. Like it's just exploding. And there's so much choice. There's like decision fatigue about what to drink. Yeah, I think the problem is also compounded by the fact that there's been consolidation at the distributor level. So any wine and spirit geeks out there know there's a supplier. Those are the people that make it. There's a distributor. Those are the people that move it from the supplier to the retailer. And then there's the retailer. It's called the three-tier system. But anyway, in the past 10, 15 years, there's gone from being a lot of various distributor companies around the country to just really a handful. And so they're carrying everything now. And if you're a new brand trying to break in with one of these distributors, it's very difficult. They just, you know, that's the same promise that everybody makes when you consolidate. We'll use fewer people to sell more product. We'll improve our margin. But the truth is any kind of hand selling is almost a lost art in the distributor world, except for some of the more specialty distributors, you know, that work with maybe luxury wines or Italian spirits and things like that. And they just don't have the muscle necessarily to create pull. So they might get a placement because, you know, they might have a good relationship with a bartender or with a bar manager, but there's just no marketing support. So people don't even, they don't know what a brand is. They don't know what it tastes like and they don't know how to use it. You know, it's like, what is that? <laughs> what am I going to do with that? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we should point out the Galliano and the whole thing, because that was what actually got me into this. Your publicist for the show got in touch with me. And I said, I have been wondering what the hell Galliano is for years. And this is exactly yeah. like this. It was something that I always saw collecting dust in the back of bars. And it is a, such a unique bottle and yeah. such a unique color. It's an iconic bottle, actually. Yeah, is it? No, it, for sure. This is a forever. huge bottle. Like, bartenders would not like this bottle. It's the equivalent of, like, a seven-foot-tall basketball center uh, <laughs> on the back bar. You know, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. So a lot of, like, bartenders and mixologists now... They're using a lot of really bitter liqueurs, a lot of things that are popular in other countries when they're trying to make craft cocktails now, and, and the cocktail menu has become really important. So Galliano is probably finding a little bit of a home and some love and place to place, but a lot of people don't know about it. What I, is it? It is an, it's an herbaceous liqueur. There you okay. go. Yeah, it has a very pronounced taste. And the challenge with bottles like this, the big secret in the world of bars is that they pour it off. So they take a whiskey on that no one likes or no one's ordering or a vodka, for instance, that no one likes or no one's ordering. It becomes a shot or it becomes a martini uh, for a week okay. until it's gone and it costs like three bucks. Huh. When you have something like a Galliano that's an herbaceous liqueur, it's not exactly like, oh, I can just put some fruit juice on it and sell it. It's going to have a very distinct taste right. that, that some people are going to find objectionable or just some bars will create a um, cocktail with it right and they'll put it in the recipe well there's a great classic cocktail with this the the harvey wallbanger which you know again if you're 100 years old like me that's something i made as a bartender in my younger years you know we would serve one a month maybe but that's why you had galliano and i really believe most of the bottles you see on bars 
are all from late 70s to mid 80s <laughs> and have been sitting there since the Harvey Wallbanger was popular. What was the craziest thing you guys found when you started doing this? The craziest like product that we tried yeah, on the show? Yeah, in terms of like, I guess most surprising to the two of you. I think the limoncello. Of course, the Maletti. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to drink an entire bottle of Maletti limoncello, which if you think this Galliano bottle is yellow, it <laughs> is like that with a neon light under it. Oh so limoncello, yeah. are you familiar with limoncello? It, roughly, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. an after dinner drink. It's mostly produced in Italy. And a lot of people used to make their own limoncello. Mm -hmm. Like it's one of those things that people would make in their homes. But when they made it, it was only it only would stay good for like a week because there's no preservatives. There's no yellow dye number five, you know, uh -huh. all those things that make limoncello great. So people drink it as an after dinner drink and they usually have like one and it's usually served cold, very, very, very cold. So the key thing, if something's supposed to be served ice cold, there's a reason for it. It's because they don't want you to taste what it tastes like at room temperature. So <laughs> we sat through the episode, we drank it. The first one was okay, but sweet. But by the time you got to four, and five, Ugh. and it started to warm yeah. up. It was kind of like chewing like cotton candy and trying to oh, like, like record it. Yeah. it. It became a little challenging. Luckily, we made a good cocktail. We have a great uh, mixology partner. Her name's Elaine Duff, who's been worked on. She's on three or four of the episodes um, that we've done. And uh, she made up some great cocktails with it that lengthened it out and, you know, made it palatable in sort of a... In a long, extended drinking session. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that's rough. I didn't really think about that when I was thinking about the premise of the show. Yeah. That, you know, you're going to drink a whiskey. Okay, fine. You could have you could have it neat. You could have it in this cocktail. You could have it in that cocktail. And whiskey you can drink for a while, something like that. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't really think, okay, some of these things might really be tough. Yeah. They're yeah. also very, like, limoncello is a liqueur, and liqueurs have a lot of sugar in them. And that makes for a rough following day. <laughs> yeah, the worst hangovers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sugar is the source of all the hangovers. So the limoncello day after was not no, not the easiest not one. Not good. No. No. You know, when Jackie first told me about the show, I was thinking, oh, these are going to be all these things that are like just were trendy once upon a time and bar stocked up and there's none left. But you said that, I think it was the first episode, it was like this ride that just nobody had heard of yet. Yeah. Um, so that's like a case where like it's collecting dust because your show is sort of ahead of the curve. So like, what's like the best sort of new product that you guys have found that you think people just haven't really figured out yet? Well, I think that dad's hat rye, which we had, and they're out of Pennsylvania, right? So I think in Pennsylvania, they were pretty well known, but we were filming it in New York. And that episode we actually did over the summer, right? So it was, the it was at the end of the summer. Yeah. yeah, it was at the end of the summer. So, you know, just people in New York weren't aware of it because they didn't have like big marketing going on. And they, the bar didn't have a whiskey program that it was part of, you know, in their drink menus. That one was very, very good. I think the last episode that we did. The J. Ray was very good. So we, we have a, it's a rum out of Jamaica. It's actually a relaunch of a brand that, that actually is pretty well known called Appleton Rum. And they repackage it as J. Ray and Nephew's Gold Rum. And that's a company that's actually been around in Jamaica for a long, long time. I think um, I'm going to get it wrong. A couple hundred years. Yeah. Something like that. But just the package was new and the bar had had it since like the relaunch of the package, but nobody knew to order it. So right. it sat like, it was a big bar, Ulysses, where we did it, like three long bar shelves and like all the way down to that end, it was sitting there and he went and he pulled it, you know, out for us. I think that one had the longest tenure on the bar without being... Yeah. Touched. Yeah. Oh, and how long was that? It was four years. They said four, four years. years. Wow. They, they yeah. said four years. Which is unusual for a bar to keep anything that long. So, yeah. Yeah. I think they were blindly optimistic that eventually it was going <laughs> to 
was going to catch yeah. on. Yeah, the but, shortest time was actually the Maletti, which was 15 months, and the longest was four years. I actually yeah. think I have some four-year ones in my apartment. Actually, if you went to my parents' house, I bet if you looked at some people's yeah, bars at home. Sure. That's a great idea. That would be because... Spin-off series, collecting yeah. dust at home. Yeah. Oh, my like God. My it. parents have like some you know tequila with a worm in it from, <laughs> from like a Mexican vacation they went on in like 1996. I just like the thought of us showing up at somebody's house. <laughs> like, unannounced, like, hey, we're here to drink all drink your, your dusty crap. Yeah, that would be good. It'd be great if we were a real surprise. <laughs> like, a, for, like a friend arranged it for like a reverse bachelor party or right? something like That's that. That's a great reverse bachelor party. <laughs> I, I went to a... Uh, I, went I don't to even a, know what a reverse bachelor party is. I don't either. <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's where you do everything that's the opposite of what you would do on a bachelor party. I don't know. We just made it up right yeah. here. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah. Do you recommend that people not necessarily do this, but that they, you know, go to their local bar and ask the bartender, you know, what do you have that hasn't been a, around for a long time and, or that's been around for a long time and can I do a shot of it? Like, I, do you think that's a fun way to... We're going to patent and then sell these collecting dust uh, glorifiers and we're just going to put them in the bars and let people put the bottle, like whatever bottle they want to move. Yeah. Um, but we, we've done, we, it's a good idea also. <laughs> we're some merchandising <laughs> ideas. But we, we've actually gone out and sort of done this a little bit since because as we've been talking about the show and talking to people, we went back to some of the bars and it's always an interesting conversation and the bartenders always want to get involved in it for some reason. So I think, you know, it's just a, a hook to get into a story about a brand and it's it's interesting and unique way to sort of approach what's available and what's I guess a little counterculture. So if you're someone who doesn't want to drink what everyone else is doing, the easiest way to do that is to find something that nobody's drinking at all. So the show is out next week. Is that correct? Yeah, we're fingers crossed, right, Julian? Yeah, <laughs> we're getting we're getting there. Yeah. So we have four episodes that we've made so far that we're starting with. I just saw the final like edit of the trailer. We're starting to post everything probably next week get everything up over the next couple of weeks. Yes. Okay. And where can people check that out? People can find the Collecting Dust channel on YouTube. That's the best way to go. We also have a website, collectingdusttheseries.com. Okay. And they can find everything they want there. Cool. Well, thank you guys for coming. And thank I for hope us. everyone will check it out because it's a very cool show and there's a lot to learn. And I want to try that Galliano. That's what I want to do. We're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to have the up, so. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. A lot of fun. So we have Roy Berenson here again. You haven't been on much lately, and I think I say that every time we have you on. But yeah, well, uh, I'm a shy retiring type. <laughs> yeah, except you're, except you're definitely ranked number one on the guest segment oh. guest listings, I'm sure. Oh, wow. I was going to say you're a shy retiring type who's usually like using a buzzsaw somewhere in the office. <laughs> yeah, didn't, weren't you just playing with a nail gun? <laughs> I was, in fact, yeah. My, well, a, a headless, what they call a headless pinner. Uh, it's a combustion-powered nail gun. Uses like a little butane cartridge. That's cool. I, I was like going to say thing. that sounds like a horror movie. Yeah, headless pinner. Yeah, the headless. But well, it's this tiny little. Uh, we were just talking about it. You know, like if James Bond were a finished carpenter, he'd use one of these things. You know, but we'll leave you in suspense. You have to read the June issue. You know, it's coming <laughs> in for a, an award. Oh, you know, so yeah. Well, that kind of ties in nicely to what we were going to talk about, which is how to choose outdoor power equipment, because it's getting to the season where you would use outdoor power equipment. Tis the season, yeah. Tis the season for outdoor power equipment. And I don't, yeah, I don't think I would know how to choose anything. Yeah, you know, as it turns out, there's so much equipment out there, you know, what I do for friends and family and readers, you know, and just about anybody who asks, guy on the street, hey, how do I choose a good lawnmower? Well, I'm going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm asking you, but <laughs> yeah, turns right. out I asked the right you, guy. 
there's a lot to know, really. And uh-huh. The thing that I tell people, you know, of course, it's good to read reviews, including my reviews, other reviews. <laughs> read of, my reviews. Of yeah. course. <laughs> but the thing is that you really have to decide what are you trying to do? What matters to you with this mower? If that mower isn't doing something or is doing something that you find that is annoying to you, you really have to stop and think about what is it about people, you know, mow the grass and, well, you know, this mower doesn't have enough power. You know, I need a mower with a bigger engine. Well, wait a minute. Now, so, like, that's a good example. So mm-hmm. stop right there. Are you using the mower correctly, for one thing? Are you overcutting? Are you letting that grass grow too tall? You really have to look at that. I mean, is the mower dull? Are you using it incorrectly? Are you trying to mulch with the mower when you should be side discharging? That's, you know, mulching is when the mower runs over the lawn and cuts and recuts the clippings, and the clippings are not discharged out the side or the back or bagged. You just get like a thin pile over the... Right, and it disappears into the lawn itself. The clippings, the mulched clippings intermingle, you know, into the lawn and provides, by the way, a great source of nitrogen. So you're like self-fertilizing lawn every time you cut. It's it's a great system. So if that mower doesn't seem powerful enough, well, are you using it correctly? Should you be side discharging if the lawn is too high? Well, how can you choose that? That's an interesting question. I, I know so little about, for example, lawnmowers that I did not know that was an option. And I assumed if you had a mulching lawnmower, it's like, I got a mulching lawnmower. It just mulches. That's what it does all the time. That you couldn't necessarily choose, like, I wanted to shoot grass out the side. You know, some of this is uh, a bit of self-discovery. You know, like, you have to look at how you're using the mower Educate yourself. You know, there's plenty of text on our website that sort of explains grass mowing and how to use a mower, what the options are for mowing. Educate yourself by reading, don't guess, (laughs) about what you need in the mower or what you want it to do. Look at how the mower is performing, how you're using it. Examine every single thing about how you're using that mower. So, Cronin, I actually really like mowing the lawn. This segment is just making me think about how I haven't done it in years. Yeah. We always had a gas mower growing up. Sure. And that was so much a part of it to me was like filling the thing and pulling on the string to start it. My mom a couple years ago switched to an electric mower, which I never thought she would do. So are mowers predominantly internal combustion or electric at this point? And what are the pros and cons of each? A segment in its own right. But if you have a few thousand square feet of grass to cut for most of the United States... I think a gas engine mower is still the way to go. Now, there's a caveat to that. Electric mowers are very capable. In most cases, you almost always want two batteries. And in some My mom cases, asked for one for Christmas last year. Yeah. Well, and you, just you, a battery. Right. <laughs> She's like, can I just have a lawnmower battery, please? Well, in the cool and transition zones parts of the United States, there's also stuff on the lawn that you have to cut through and mulch up oh, and bag up. Yeah. There's leaves, there's seed pods, there's pine needles. It takes a lot of torque to get through that stuff. And if there's one thing a gas engine mower is particularly good at, it's like you add fuel, that thing just keeps on producing torque. As much torque as you can stand. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, electric mowers are very uh, torque-rich power tools, but you're draining that battery. So you've got to have that, you know, the next fresh battery ready to go. I don't want to sound like I'm dumping on cordless mowers. They're very powerful. They're very quiet. There's no recoil start to pull. They're very clean. They're very safe. They're great products. I love them. But 
I'm talking about for the majority of people out there who cut the grass in the spring, especially it's tall, it's damp. Then they, you know, move through the summer season and slowly the grass becomes like dehydrated. It's easier to cut. There are times in the summer when the lawn may be dormant. You don't even have to cut it. And then the rains come, the lawn starts growing in the fall. Then you're coping with the lawn with leaves on it. So those are your two main product categories, of course, gas engine and a cordless mower. You know, we're continuing to test them. Cordless mowers are doing better all the time. The voltages are, you know, larger. They're more powerful. They're more capable. For a lot of people with small lawns, by the way, just the opposite is true. A cordless mower will do you just fine. Just fine and then some, really. You know, so it depends on your cutting conditions, what your expectations are. And that gets back to where we started. Understanding the particulars and how you interact with the equipment is really what it comes down to. There's no single perfect mower. You have to find the mower that's perfect for you. The mower has to choose you, like the wand in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, there we go. It's like the wand, yeah, yeah, in Harry Potter. It's a lawn wand, yeah. A lawn, a lawn wand. wand. That's a great brand name. I like it. Yeah. And in the meantime, get yourself a lawn wand. A lawn wand, yeah. That solves your lawn mowing for good. Next time that fat grass looks at you and says, Hey, buddy, how about a haircut? Just point at it with the lawn wand. It's time again for your favorite segment, Cognac Facts. Okay, so I've made a huge strategic error, which is that these facts require me to pronounce French words. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Which is not going to go well. you suggested cognac. Facts, I did. So you did. That this was why it was my strategic error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, is it cognac or cognac? That's my first question. I think that depends who you are. How fancy the... Yeah, how fancy are you? Not very. I mean, I say cognac, but I'm from the South. I think I thought it was cognac. Okay. Kevin's pretty fancy, it, so cognac let's go with sounds cognac. more very French fancy. to me. Isn't it a fortified wine? It's a brandy. So it is brandy. I didn't know. I did not know that. I did not know it was made out of grapes. I thought it was like a liquor, like a grain liquor, Oh, like along the lines of whiskey. So blew my mind straight out of the gate. Okay. But it's a variety of brandy. So similar to like champagne, it's from a specific region of France. It's named after the town of Cognac, but there are like six different regions and like I think three different types of white grape that you can make. It out of. And then there's this like very intense distilling process that involves like two copper stills and it has to go through and then it has to age at least two years in French oak barrels. So it became popular in the 18th century because, <laughs> quote, virtually alone among brandies, it did not have to be mixed with water to be palatable. Ooh. <laughs> A rough time. I mean, brandy can be kind of intense. I, I, I do actually brandy. like brandy. I like apple brandy. Yeah, like Calvados is apple brandy, apple right? Yeah. Good. yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Like as an after-dinner drink. Although then you got to be careful because then you're like, ooh, I got drunk. So <laughs> After dinner. <laughs> after, right. Well, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's very strong. And then you're like, I guess you could just go to bed. Yeah. So cognac has these different like designations of how, I guess, old and fancy they are. So there's VS, which is very special. Oh, there's, I've always wondered what all these letters stand for. I'm going to tell you. Oh, my gosh. There's VSOP, which is Very Superior Old Pale. Not what? where I thought that was going. <laughs> XO for Extra Old. Wait, are these in order of, like, coolnesses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. These are, yeah. It's basically in order of, like, how old they so are. VS, so VSOP. VS is, is two years in a cask. VSOP is at least four years in a cask. XO is at least six years. 
but it was upped to 10 years in April 2018, I guess, to make it harder Oh, to get there. And then there's, okay, here comes the French. There's hors d'âge, which means beyond age, which basically means like it's so old that people have stopped keeping how much, track. How much cognac had they drank when they came up with these categories? <laughs> They're all like, they don't have to make sense in relation to each other at all. Like, just whatever. Just go for it. Yeah. And uh, what makes me crazy is that the VS and the VS in OP they don't use the same are thing. not the same I VS. Know. Why I know. would you? Okay. Yeah. Like, it, right. it could be very special, old pill. No one would know. Okay. I'm going to skip ahead to my favorite fact that I learned. Okay. Because this is incredible. So there are four <laughs> like big producers of cognac. I'm not going to be able to say any of them. The one that I do know is Hennessy. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Kim Jong il, his favorite drink was Hennessy cognac. And one year, he spent $700,000 on Paradis Cognac from Hennessy. Wow. Sorry, not one year. Yearly, he spent $700,000. I don't understand how the French can sell that to North Korea. I mean, is that... Just because we have sanctions doesn't mean they do. They don't have sanctions. Okay. But also, I think that North Korea gets a lot of stuff like secondhand like it comes in through china or something i don't yeah. think i don't think a lot of it is like yeah but they're buying but directly from, it's not like from it's not like he was calling up and being like hello i do you remember the whole thing where he like went to factories and looked at things no no kim <laughs> dong-il goes to factories and looks at things it was like a it was a meme Never sounds mind. like a tumblr back from like yeah yeah it was yeah. like a silly tumblr but anyway i was just gonna say like i was gonna pretend to be him and say i'm in a factory looking at something and i would like some of your cognac please yeah yeah I feel like did did any of you guys read the Orphan Master's Son? I did. I, I think that was a plot point because this like it like pinged in my brain. I was like, oh, Kim Jong Il like likes cognac. I think that's a that's part of that. Oh, book. I don't remember that. I need but to go I reread it. That, that, that was is an excellent book. A heavily researched book that won the Pulitzer, yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's a fact. <laughs> and that's a fact. That's been cognac facts. <laughs> So Roy's back in here again to talk about some lawn care. We were kind of talking about lawn care last time, but it wasn't. We were talking about buying tools and and all of that. This is more, it's spring, and I feel like this is your favorite topic. I feel like you always are really excited about getting the lawn going. I love getting the lawn started in the springtime. You know, it's a spring ritual for me and many other Americans. You know, you... You want to clean off the lawn. You want, there's usually debris on it, oh. branches, small twigs. You know, in some cases, you can rake that stuff up. You know, bigger stuff. You truck might tires, have tires, old truck cars. tires, bottles, beer <laughs> bottles, cigarette butts. You yeah. know, tire weight rims, bench. You know, weight yeah. bench. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just a this is a terrible lawn. Oh yeah. lord. Yeah. Don't go in that house. The old couch, the refrigerator that oh doesn't God. work. You know, all of that in the backyard, in the tall grass. Um, you'd never know it until you hit it with a lawn. Snakes. Bar. Snakes. <laughs> get the snakes out of there. So you, you want to get the debris, the large debris off. There's, you know, small debris. Sometimes a mower can handle that. You know, you can bag that. If you have a, a mower that most of them are, you know, set up the bag, you can bag that stuff and then put it on your compost pile. You know, the mower will shred it and it's great mixed with leaf clippings. It's like the perfect blend, really, if there's uh, some small leaves and seed pods and, you know, stuff like that. But give that lawn a healthy uh, application of spring fertilizer. That's called slow release fertilizer. You're giving it a shot of nitrogen to get it off on a running start and you're feeding it and that's going to help that lawn, assuming you also fed it in the fall. What happens is when you feed a lawn in the fall, the grass's roots store the nutrients. That alone is going to help it get restarted in the spring. But you might say jump-starting it with an application of slow-release nitrogen fertilizer gives it that extra boost, improves its color, 
gives it some early season vigor. So what you want to do is you put the lawn to sleep, so to speak, in the fall with a healthy meal uh, um, <laughs> so it can store in its root system the carbohydrates and nutrients necessary to get it started in the spring. Then you give it another application of spring fertilizer and that lawn is going to roar back to life. It's going to come up out of the lawn. It's going to actually shoot up within those first few weeks. You're getting that lawn off to a healthy start. Set your mower up high. Make sure the mower blade is sharp. And you're going to give it a nice clean cut. And, you know, if you're mulching, you're returning those high nitrogen containing particles back to the lawn. So you were talking about putting spring fertilizer on the lawn. Yeah. What is the difference between spring fertilizer and fall fertilizer? Oh, good question. That's actually an excellent question. It gets somewhat complicated. That's called the NPK or nitrogen phosphorus potassium. Did I get that right? I think so. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, of the fertilizer. That's the blend. The primary ingredient in both fall and spring fertilizers is nitrogen. That's your primary ingredient. Fall fertilizer has more potassium, improves the cold hardiness of the oh, grass. Oh, okay. Phosphorus, on the other hand, uh, some people overseed in the fall. Mm -hmm. You have this new grass. It's just established in the fall, and that will help it in the spring. The spring blend will help that new grass shoot up. Oh, okay. You know, you're, you're putting the lawn to bed in the fall and sort of awakening it uh, they don't use that term, but you're awakening in the spring with this combination of nitrogen. So like your lawn's like a bear. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad analogy. I mean, the lawn is fed in the fall and then goes dormant, and it awakens from dormancy in the spring. Do your trees or your hedges, do they follow this pattern? Like, do you have to wake them up too, or is this just kind of a grass thing? Well, yeah. I mean, there there is a fertilization schedule that your plants will prosper from, However, again, it depends on the plant and what you're trying to do. You know, plants grow more with fertilizer. And so applying or reducing that fertilizer is going to affect the extent that that plant is going to put on new growth. Yeah. What about, um, for the, going back to the lawn, what about aerating? Do you do that at the beginning of the year or no? When, you, when do you, you do that? You can. Um, typically, uh, and it depends on your soil. Some people in parts of the United States that have cool season grasses, aerating in the fall is great, along with overseeding and applying the fall fertilizer in, like, in one operation. The thing is with aeration is that it produces a muddy sort of plug that comes out of the lawn. Yeah, my brother and I used to throw them at each other. A lawn can be perfectly healthy without aeration. Is it the type of soils that are prone to compaction are improved from aeration? You know, those are typically soils with a high clay content. This, the soil has a tendency to want to compact, and the roots are not getting enough oxygen because that there aren't those, and you'll be familiar with this word, I know you guys will, interstitial air spaces <laughs> in, yeah. the, in between the soil particles. You know, that tiny interstitial space holds air and water. You know, so when you're reducing those spaces and compacting the soil. Interesting. Okay. You know, so that's what aeration is designed to combat. It's not like the magic grass care 
yeah. thing, you know. Whatever. I definitely never knew what it was. I just knew it produced weapons that I could yeah, use yeah, on my no, brother. Yeah, they're fun. Kids, kids <laughs> I feel like, I feel like Kevin and... versus his brother could be a whole subplot on this podcast. If you're it, really it paying be. attention. Yeah. Well, That's what this I, whole I, show's actually been about. actually what it's been about this whole time. Speaking as a guy with a twin brother, I can completely identify. I always forget that you have a twin brother. I knew that and completely forgot. Is he also good at all this stuff or no? Um, yeah, he's actually, he, aside from being, a, a, he's now back in the United States from a tour in China where he was running a manufacturing plant there. He's much smarter oh. than I am. Yeah, he's a manufacturing guy. And yeah, he's pretty good at this stuff. He was even, for a while, I don't know if his license is still current, but he was a licensed, <laughs> believe it or not, a licensed remodeling contractor Whoa. in Michigan on top of, you know, being a manufacturing guy. He was also a licensed contractor. I can't believe we should have a Berenson Twins showdown. I how have we never done this? I don't know how we've never done this. Well, now he's back in the U.S. We should do it. Where does he live? Does he live far uh, away? He's, he's out in Michigan. He's <sighs> in a little little town I mean, in Michigan. Maybe he can call in, I guess. Maybe we should have him call in. Yeah. Yeah, well, I can talk to him. Yeah. You know, he'd probably enjoy it. He's a he's a funny guy in a very dry humor. Sounds uh, very different from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is very different. I mean, he's I'm a homebody. He's an adventurer, you know. I've been a journalist pretty much all my life. He's worked in these various industries, primarily in manufacturing, though. That's been his call. Now he's running, I think, two, maybe even three plants. He's a plant manager. Oh, wow. Yeah. I yeah, think we're going to have to have a, a Berenson Twin Showdown. Yeah, yeah no, we he's, should. A, he's a great guy. I, I love him dearly, obviously, you know. Um, so, you know, he's he's just been an awesome brother. All right. You can love him dearly, but when it's showdown time. Yeah, no, no. That's the gloves. <laughs> the, Kevin comes yeah. out. Gloves, gloves come off. Yeah. Well, he, it's funny. Even when we were, you know, kids, he was always like two inches taller and very sinewy and muscular, you know. And, you know, you had to be careful, you know, at showdown time with that guy. Pound the crap <laughs> on that, you know? oh, That's awesome. Well, stay tuned because yeah. there may be some more on this topic coming. Yeah. So for today's testing table, we're going to call this Alex's Desk Part 2. I don't remember when the last time we made fun of your desk was. was I don't that? think I was part of that one. Were you not? No, so I'm really excited. That was really fun. Uh, basically, I, mean, I sit next to him, so I kind of do it all the time anyway. But Right. I mean, we, we all do. We've been playing like a popular mechanics bingo game. And one of the squares on the popular mechanics bingo game is uh, Alex's desk fan is on, but Alex is not there because he has this <laughs> little desk fan that sits on like a wooden cube and fans him. I get hot sometimes at the desk, but the, and that helps. I mean, but it's like so adorable. I don't know. You just have you have a it's lot. It's ridiculous. You one. have a lot yeah. of like helper knickknacks. I think helper knickknacks. Right. We're here so I can explain myself. A little yeah, bit, that's right? why you're here. Yeah, well, okay. and you brought some things that are newer knickknacks that you've gotten since the last time we did this. Okay. Do you want me to address that fan? Sure. No, please, by all okay. means. This is something <laughs> that somebody showed to me. It was I think it was like five dollars <laughs> on Amazon. It's a little like gooseneck. So it's USB plug on one end, right? And then mm-hmm. it's a little like gooseneck adjusty thing. And the fan part is like one of these fans that you would put on a um, on a motherboard on a computer to help fan it. But it's compact and it fits right there and you can blow some air gently on your face using from your computer while you're using it. Wait, so what do you have it? Because it stands up straight on it's a thing. It's to like a USB battery that I have. Okay. Because that's what I was like. That, that that's, does kind of take it to the, the show. Is the it's, USB battery plugged in to be charging the whole time or is it? No, I plug it in like, I don't know, once a month or something like that. I was going to say, it probably can power that fan for a long, I think time. It a long time. I think what's compelling about your desk is it's the Rube Goldberg machine-esque-ness <laughs> of all these things. Like, it's very like chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Like, you have some things that are like making eggs for you yeah, at all uh, times. Someday, right. it'll happen. Yeah. yeah. So, that brings me to the first one that I wanted to talk about, which was this thing was holding your computer up sideways. And I said, is that designed to do that? And you said, no. <laughs> what of course is, not. What is it? Okay, so there are... 
two tips that somebody could take from this that I found that the first one is, you know, like huge binder clips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you attach those the right way, you can rest your headphones on them. Like if you could attach it to like a shelf or something like that, you can use it to hang your headphones on. I've actually it's noticed like, you doing this and admired it. Yeah, we should say we admire all of these things. We're not being not all of them. Not well, all of them. most of them. Some of them. Oh, I'll make the second one. I have a hard time making the case. So the second thing is like, it's a little like U-shaped stand made of metal. And I think it was, it was speaking of desk supplies that, you know, have been repurposed. This was, I think, a tape dispenser. You know, the little thing that had the cut off oh. for it. Does that make sense? So it's okay, a little like yeah. U-shaped piece of metal. It's like the um, spindle would go across into it. that. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it was getting thrown out or something like that. And I picked it up and took out the spindle part. And it's just this U-shaped piece of mesh metal. And I used it to hold my laptop vertically. So it's not just rest. You know, my laptop's connected to a big monitor. And you don't really need to have the laptop open. Um, Save desk space because it's vertical. Precious uh-huh. desk space. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, it's vertical in here. All the cables are connected. It's shoved against the wall so it doesn't take up a lot of room on there. In a tape dispenser. I mean, you are living the popular mechanics <sighs> yeah. lifestyle. I, I, thought that was a, um, I thought that was like something for like holding files up. But yeah. you truly see the usefulness in all objects. I mean, it's oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's resourceful Have laziness. Have you thought about being an engineer? <laughs> well, the engineer would make something, like fashion something out of metal or like, uh, you know, Roy would build it out of wood or something like that. But I'm just like, it's already there if I just break it a little bit. <laughs> It'll start to work <laughs> the way I want it to. Um, so what else did you bring? Okay. This other one that you picked up is a... That... I don't even have a guess what this is. That looks like an enema. It does. So it's... The shape a of it is kind of like um, a rocket ship enema. I don't like, know why you like would a, buy that, but that's what that looks like. What was it called? The One of the two atom bombs called the uh, oh, Fat, fat Man. man. Little yeah, boy. yeah, exactly. I think it looks like it's kind of the shape of a fat man with like these little, this little stand on the bottom and the top is this enema looking like protrusion that has a little <laughs> hole cut in it. But it's basically- yeah, If there's anything you don't want to, you don't want an enema, it's looking like a bomb called Fat Man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, but here we are. It's, so <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, here up, we are. What we're looking at, it's called the uh, Giotto's Rocket Air Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So if they want to use that language in their ad copy or whatever, have at it. Yeah, it's, feel so what, free to borrow that. What it basically is, is the part that's the like squeezy part, you compress it and it squeezes air out of the tip. And you use that to clean uh, oh. dust off of your camera lens. So it's like if you don't want to buy a can of compressed air, you use this one the idea is actually compressed <laughs> air has these as accelerants in it that can leave this residue on like a oh, camera lens and okay. the fact that this is just like a bellows basically like you just squeeze pure air onto it you don't leave any residue on the lens so it cleans it without leaving anything behind have you used it on your computer like on your keyboard or anything where you would use compressed air or do you just use it for camera it's not camera quite lenses? powerful enough for that but it's for uh i have yeah i use it like to get little crumbs out and stuff like that here and there but compressed air is better for that but no it's mainly for cameras it's um it's a kind of a pain to carry around, but if you ever find yourself with like little specks on your, you know, the camera lens or you don't want to touch it with your fingers or you don't want to use a brush kit or something like that, it's yeah. useful for just getting that out Sometimes there. I get like dirt like in my phone case or like dirt in my, yeah. the plug, whatever that is, the lightning port. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it would work for that. I'm yeah, like, you could use it to just you know, get it out of there. It's It comes up every now and then with electronics to just get little specks of dust So you're out of saving there. desk space from your computer by having it vertical so you can keep <laughs> things like this. On your desk. It all ends up net efficiency, I like to think. <laughs> <laughs> but when you say it that way, I might have some flaws in my logic. <laughs> it also, it's also fun to just, it's also like, a, you know, people have like a stress ball on their desk. It's fun to squeeze. I feel like if somebody was annoying and came over, you could just squeeze it, squeeze a puff of air at them. And then that like would Like a cat, be... like spray bottle. Wait, wasn't there some air shover that we... Air it, shover? It's like a 
uh, it's like an air gun. So uh, I guess Alex showed this to me. I couldn't remember who I had talked about this with. And you just put some air in it and you can throw air across the room at somebody. Air Zuka. A puff of air. And of course, one of the first comments was from somebody in the military who said, of course, is that what you're reading? (laughs) You want to share with the class? Question. Can you fart into it and blow it into someone's face from across the room? Answer. I can confirm this. (laughs) I received one of these as a Christmas gift while deployed. Naturally, it only took a few minutes for two of my soldiers to attempt firing a fart through it. The key is to have the... (laughs) (laughs) Somebody has to finish reading it. I can't read it. The key is to have the gunner cock and hold the weapon while the loader does his thing. Uh, It took nearly two full seconds for the blast across the the tent, (laughs) resulting in the major suddenly flailing his arms and yelling, oh God, it got in my mouth. (laughs) 10 out of 10, best present ever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that thing. What is that thing called? Airzooka. Do you have an Airzooka? I do not. But, but uh, you have enough you have enough desk space for one if you if we wanted to get you. Oh one. my god, yeah. Okay, so we have one more thing, and this thing is presumably designed to do what it's doing. It's I holder for AirPods, like the you know wireless headphones oh. that Apple makes. Uh, it's from a company called Catalyst. It's a like this kind of silicone sleeve that wraps around like the AirPod case. Uh, and the idea is that it says it'll be waterproof too. Oh, so this is like the Apple. The standard AirPod case is inside this. Yeah, this is like exactly. a sleeve. It's a, yeah, it wraps around the one that you, uh, comes with them. It says it'll be, uh, it's waterproof to like just over three feet. You can drop it four feet. But the exceptionally dorky thing I can't quite bring myself to use is that it has a like a little loop on it for a carabiner. Yeah, do you just like, like carry it around in your belt? You carry it around like your belt loop. Yeah. Oh, because you're so. Cool. And then you have your Apple lanyard also. Yeah, and then that—that's on your belt loop, and then I don't know what other are pocket protectors still a thing? Or I mean, it's you can put your Apple pencil in your pocket protector. Like remember, like belt clips for Blackberries. Like it feels like the next yeah. version of that thing. There's a the lot. Like, that's what why I have one of those. Is like it's it's this kind of interesting question. Of like, like, remember, like AirPods were kind of. I actually maybe, have a belt loop. I'm gonna put this on. Remember when guys, like cool they were object of ridicule for such a long time, and now they're kind of commonplace now. You know, they just took over. Yeah, that kind of matches the green in your pants. Thanks. It's I feel like very. A, it's like it's a tropical. shade that works. Yeah. Um, you can get them in different colors, but I this, opted this for one a glow glows in the dark. In the dark right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that, I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like. Uh, so wait. So how yeah. is it waterproof if it's open on this end? So it's like a lot of phone cases now work this way too, where as long as they make enough of a seal around part of the plastic, that pretty much waterproofs it because the the plastic that's around it is non-porous. So like you can oh. buy phone cases that are waterproof, but the screen is there's nothing over the screen because oh. the screen doesn't have any. You know, right, as entry. long as it covers it's like the where cracks. the seams are, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so is it hard to get them out of there, though? Because then you have to, like, peel it back a little bit yeah, to open try it? it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a pain, but it's... Um, I don't actually know how this opens, because I don't You just kind of fold it back like it's... Yeah, along those ridge oh, lines okay. there. So like, it has this little like cutaway a, Like a chip it. bag. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that kind of hacky way to, like, open up your chips. Yeah, it does that, and... I don't know, it's kind of a... I've known so many people who've bought these, and then, like, they drop the case or lose it on, like... And they're walking or riding a bike or something like that. So the idea is that kind of makes it harder to take them in and out in just a little bit so you can keep track of them better. Right. Yeah. And it would be probably handy if you did get the glow in the dark one, you know, because you're always like leaving your apartment. You're like, do I have it? And you could just look quickly. And well, you're a guy, but like look purse. quickly in your purse and yeah. be like, oh, it's glowing. Great. Because like you probably turn the light off, you know, whatever. Yeah. I bought some, it for, some of them digging in there like, oh, do I have the stupid thing. Same idea. I bought them this color because uh, you can use it on an airplane like that. Like wait, you're oh, searching uh, in your carry-on. Yeah, yeah. You want to find stuff inside there. And how much does this cost? These are twenty five bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, that's kind of more expensive than I thought that would be. Yeah, it's. Uh, 
I guess I, the AirPods are expensive too, right? Yeah, hundred and I think it's hundred and sixty right now. Yeah, it's a status it's a symbol, Kevin. Yeah, I don't have them, so I can say that. Well, Apple either. accessories are pretty expensive. <laughs> I'm fully corded at the moment. A, a company like this has to. I don't know if they, you know, how what exactly the negotiations are with Apple that you have to have, but you know, making it to the right specs and oh, having it be like an officially licensed product, all gotcha. that. That's oh, not. So it's for, hard it's to make cheap. it dirt cheap. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess normally what we ask at the end of this is, would you buy this? But obviously, you would. Kevin, would you buy any of these things or would you use any of these things? I have a decent camera. I think the Air thing is great. What is it called? The I mean, the it's the Anima, but what's it? It's <laughs> Shoto's. Shoto's uh, Rocket Air Blaster. I think it's. I think it was maybe just under 15 bucks. Yeah, especially uh, for that price. I think if I had invested, if I, it's, I mean, at some point, I'm sure I will just to feel young again, I'll invest in the AirPods. And if I did, I don't think that's a bad idea. I wouldn't clip it to my belt, but having a waterproof case seems like pretty worthwhile. If I invested in AirPods, which maybe I'll have to soon, I would definitely get one of those waterproof cases. I just think I'd want something cuter because, I don't know, I'm girly. I want it to have colors. But they, you said they have colors. This close second was that black and red. Oh, see, that's better. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to have an investment, maybe I would I would protect it. $25 is a lot, but probably it's more to replace your AirPod case, huh? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Bettina Warshaw and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks, projects, science, and technology, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.